And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. Earl Tilford. He's a military historian and fellow for the Middle East and terrorism with the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College. And from 1993 to 2001, he served as Director of Research at the U.S. Army's Strategic Studies Institute. From 2001 on, he left government service for a professorship at Grove City College. Dr. Tilford, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Good to be back with you, Dan. You know, you write a number of articles, and one article recently was posted in the Center for Vision and Values, dated April the 21st. You talk about Putin sends a message to Obama. And to get us started, I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit, what was that article all about? Well, it was about the uh, recent Russian fighter planes making low passes over one of our ships, I think the USS McDonald, operating in the Baltic Sea, close to, to Russia, certainly. Uh, what probably really got the Russians mad was a, a Polish helicopter was attempting to land on the, the small aft deck of the McDonald. And Poland, of course, used to be uh, in the Warsaw Pact, though I don't think Poland was ever an ally of the Soviet Union, though on paper they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, what Putin is doing is the equivalent of a tomcat marking his territory, is to say, hey, you're a little bit out of where you need to be. Uh, you shouldn't be here. They did the same thing in the Black Sea last year. We make, it a, we make it a habit of going into the Black Sea because it's technically international waters, and we have a right to be there. But the Russians consider it their lake. So you put up with these things, but um, as dangerous as the, the, that looked, it is pretty dangerous for an SU-24, which we used to call in the old days uh, an F-111 ski, because it's a swing-wing fighter from about the same period as our F-111, uh, the early 70s. Uh, and it's uh, flying very close to that ship. Now, it's, you can see it's not armed. It doesn't have, its, uh, it doesn't have any weapons on board, no, no, air, no air-to-surface missiles. And it didn't have its uh, radars on that would lock that missile on. Uh, mm-hmm. If it had, the ship's captain might well have shot it out of the sky. Sure. Probably not see, seeing that it was unarmed. But still, uh, in fact, you wouldn't want to even turn on your defensive uh, weapons because I wouldn't want to distract the pilot. I wouldn't want him to make a miscalculation. I want him to fly as carefully as he could. But still, uh, a gust of wind, uh, a, a minor malfunction, and that plane might hit that ship. You would have a major international incident, not to mention a lot of dead people. Yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine. Now, I could during the Cold War, I could imagine pilots just doing this on their own because it, it happens so often. But I can't imagine that today in the Russian military or in ours, in two individual pilots deciding they just wanted to have some fun in doing this. And I can't imagine in the Russian military a local commander doing this unless he had word from above to do something like this. Right. That's why I think it's a message to Obama. In part, it's uh, a warning about uh, the United States not getting further involved in Syria. It's a warning about us uh, uh, meddling in their affairs that they believe that their affairs in Ukraine may be by being in the Black Sea. And it just says, to me, it's a, a sign of the disrespect they have for our president and for the United States. Mm-hmm. I sometimes wonder... Dr. Tilford, if we're heading into a sort of new Cold War. Oh, we're already there. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. It it doesn't matter to me uh, what the ideologies were of the Cold War. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, during the Cold War, I used to say it's a good thing they're communists. They can't possibly keep up with us. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they, and what killed them eventually was they couldn't take computers. Their system would not allow uh, the objective display of information by computers. It would show them how mm-hmm. badly behind they were. So yeah. they, they kept computers out of the hands of people who needed them, and they couldn't keep up. Well, this uh, this is an interesting article you wrote, and um, prior to even seeing your article, I did trip across footage online that shows this S-24 fighter bomber going very close to our American destroyer, and I've never flown a plane, but I would think that just a slight tweak of the control and you would have an accident. You're right. That could happen, and at low altitude, you do yeah. get unexpected wind. Uh, if you, if anybody who's landed in a an airliner knows that, when you get as you start to come down through, through the cloud layer, you begin to bounce a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, but they're going at such speeds that that obviates a lot of that. But still, it's a dangerous game to play. Uh, though we played it during the Cold War. In fact, sure. We would fly over their ships and try to to blow out the fires in their their funnels with the jet wash. Hmm. And of course, the Chinese did this a few years back in one of their airplanes hit the prop on one of ours and killed our pilots and damaged our spy plane as it landed on Hanan Island. Mm-hmm. China never gave it back, but we finally did return the crew. Apologized massively. If uh, Putin is testing our resolve, how should we react if we had a strong administration, let's say? Well, uh, I would like to see us, first of all, go to, go to our NATO partners mm. and say it's time for you to be full partners. We are really tired of carrying the burden for NATO. Oh, amen for that. Uh, we, If you're going to have us here, you need to spend the same percentage of your gross national product on defense that we spend. Then we can talk about uh, a partnership. Mm-hmm. Second, I would. The, I think the only military force in NATO now worth, uh, worth the name is Polish Armed Forces, mm-hmm. and we should be bolstering them. They, they have been staunch allies of ours in, in the Middle East, uh, and we should uh, send them some more F-16 fighter planes. And uh, since the A-10, the anti-tank weapons that we have are going out of the inventory, though they're expensive to maintain, uh, Poland would be the right place for them because the Russian military is very, it's a blitzkrieg-type military, very dependent on, on tanks and mobile artillery. I see. And those, uh, those planes can do that. And I would build a NATO base in Poland, and I would insist that uh, one of the other NATO countries Maybe on a rotating basis, put squadrons there. For instance, I would like for us to always have a permanent squadron of F-22 fighters there. And uh, for Britain to start off with uh, sending a squadron to Euro fighters. And then we would have a a Polish squadron there, and it would be a NATO base. Uh, And uh, also put in that missile defense system in Poland. Um, And it would not be a massive one to, to obviate the Soviet missile force, but it would be just in case there's ever a... An accidental launch. Yes. Accidental launch or not, a rogue officer takes charge and decides to attack the United States. Correct. Uh, we've got to respond to that. And uh, if any future president would be under enormous political pressure if we lost a major city like Philadelphia or Washington even or New York. Sure. You know, just to sit back and say, oh, we understand. <laughs> no, you can't do that. Now, uh, help me understand something here, right? I'm struggling with something. There's some folks and even friends of mine that feel that we should not do anything. We should have zero involvement, 
just believe in peace and da-da-da-da-da. Why can't we respond that way? Because we like to continue to exist in this world. Mm. And this, this is a fallen world. And as John F. Kennedy concluded his inaugural address, that if you read John F. Kennedy's inaugural address, uh, we always remember, uh, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Mm-hmm. But it ends with, let us go forth from this time and place, knowing that on earth God's work must truly be our own. Uh, but if you read the entire address, it's full of allusions to bearing burdens and supporting friends and answering the call, though the call may be difficult. Uh, it wasn't written by Kennedy. It was written by Ted Sorensen. Mm-hmm. But it has, it has very religious overtones to it uh, throughout that address. And I would say that, you know, in a, we, it's nice to turn the other cheek, but in the real world, sometimes you have to turn the other cheek to respond to attacks. Yes, and uh, when we got a responsibility for um, the civil magistrate, if you will, protecting the citizenry, it's um, it's a different level than personally turning the other cheek uh, should we be offended personally. There are very few pure pacifists out there, and I can respect that position, but they're very few in number. Most are sort of, I don't want to get in, I don't think we should be involved in this way. Mm-hmm. I gave a Sunday school lesson at the First United Methodist Church recently on just war doctrine, and as it happened, that was the weekend of the Paris attacks. Oh my! And uh, so I found myself on because that occurred on a Friday night on Saturday, changing it to also accommodate terrorism. And there's a pacifist response, and I'd already gone through the pacifist response and the classical pacifist response to to, to even just war, and say and really come to the conclusion that that that's really kind of a, min, a small minority within Christianity that's purely pacifistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but then I get into the response to terrorism, and I found that to be very uh, very undoable. For instance, it says any response to terrorism should not exceed the amount of damage or violence inflicted by the terrorist act. Hmm. That's like saying that, well, if someone rapes someone, what's the response to that? Rape them? What if there's no violence involved? Uh, What if, you know, they only hurt them a little bit uh, during this rape? Should they only get like a little jail sentence? No, they should go to jail for a very long time for the crime. Hmm. Uh, And and, uh, in a terrorist response, just because you... We had two people doesn't mean, oh, we can only kill two people in response. We go in and we wipe out whatever we have to to make sure you don't ever do that again. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as I think about this, I wanted to comment. I remember growing up a very young boy. Over time, as I've looked back at it, you know, I realized, wow, there's been quite a shift, uh, a gradual erosion, if you will, um, a sort of... Uh, uh, a destruction of our Judeo-Christian tradition. You know, nowadays even our language is under assault with words being redefined and our English language challenged. And then we see the freedom of religion challenged. And increasingly in the past seven years or so, we've also seen a lack of law and order. Uh, we've seen riots in the streets of Baltimore and Ferguson uh, violation of property rights, destruction of private property, and now even free speech. Um, the other day I saw a news article where some attorneys general threaten legal repercussions against businesses if they disagree with the so-called climate change narrative. And I, I get the feeling like we're seeing a sort of reassembling of our society more and more as a sort of 
can I say it, a quasi-communist utopia, perhaps? <laughs> and, and I feel there's a good deal of naivete in all of this. Uh, when, you know, when I see our college kids, for example, um, some of them, it's the only some of them, embracing a form of government that's completely antithetical to our constitutional republic, what they call a democratic socialist government, and years ago, we would have run away from this threat. And yet now there's a serious contender at the national level running for president who fully embraces this stuff. It, to me, it's shocking what's happening. Well, I think uh, fully embraces, but I think many of us have come to embrace it already. Uh, we're very cautious about the things that we say. We're, uh, we try not, to, uh, try not to be needlessly provocative. But I go back to high school. I remember 50, oh, 52 years ago, 53 years ago, and mm-hmm. a high school English teacher coming down with, you know, I, uh, may not, I, may, I may not like what you have to say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. Mm-hmm. And I would still feel that way. Um, I know I taught at Grove City College where they, they, they almost always had in speakers that only spoke from one perspective, which was uh, a very conservative perspective. And I'd say that's like having one hand. You can't clap with one hand. (laughs) Uh, You've got to have uh, other points of view. I was the first person who ever brought in a Muslim to speak at Grove City College. He wasn't in chapel, but I became friends with the head of the the, uh, chief of the uh, Muslim uh, community in Pittsburgh, who was a very fine fellow named Safdar Kwaji. In fact, I was on a panel with him and two rabbis. And I showed up at the television station early, and the two rabbis were there, and we started talking. And I told them about my recent trip to Israel and how I'd studied terrorism and counterterrorism yeah. over there. And, and they said, oh, man, we were afraid you were going to be one of those academics who's way out there in left field. <laughs> now we can only get it. Now what's the Muslim going to be like? Oh, so Safjar, you're going to love him. So I'll drive Safjar in his Corvette, wearing a double-breasted suit. He's an engineer, president of an engineering company. Comes in and greets them in Hebrew. and uh, before the evening's over they're talking about let's get the uh, two synagogues together with the Muslim community and have a lamb roast (laughs) (laughs) but uh, uh, yeah you've got to have another you've got to defend the other point of view and true liberalism true liberalism is to listen to that other point of view Mm -hmm. and there are not all ideas are valid or even really considering but all ideas should at least be, you should at least be willing to hear them. In other words, if I put it in my own language, I would say um, explore truth, no matter where it leads, and do your investigative uncovering, and don't be afraid of, of the truth. And it certainly goes both ways. Let's say you have liberal attorneys general um, for them to get down on free speech that someone dearly holds to, and even with scientific evidence, they certainly should not be prosecuting them for that free speech. Let me ask you this question. Um, we've been focused for a long time on ISIS, terrorism, and that sort of thing. Um, I wonder if there's some other threats that are perhaps larger right now than ISIS, and we're just ignoring them. Well, President Obama has just recently made, and he's made before, the... Uh notion that you are far more likely to be uh, eaten by a shark or struck by lightning than you are to become a victim of a terrorist attack. That's true. But uh, that doesn't mean that there can't be another mass event. And uh, these terrorists, ISIS, have said that they intend to destroy us. 
And that branch of Islam is intent on doing that. So we have to deal with, I think, that reality that it's always possible, and that they would if they could. So you need to make a distinction. Yeah, and then not every great white shark is out there looking for humans to eat. <laughs> yeah, just the other day in my neighborhood, I saw one floating by. Oh, uh, yeah, right. You must have seen Sharknado, too. Uh, the, uh, but the, the, the countries that can really destroy us is, is the Soviet Union. Or, excuse me, my Fuhrer, the Russian Federation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the missiles, they have uh, the, uh, the long-range bombers, they have, they have their own triad. China could do, could do it as well. Uh, but I don't think China is going to, to destroy their biggest uh, debtor nation. Right. Uh, and the, so, I mean, the problem out there is you've got crazies like North Korea that can put you in a position where you've got to do some things that are very nasty, uh, should they ever do what they might do. But uh, Russia is the nation that, that really can destroy us, and we've got to prepare for that threat. We have to. I would like to see that threat reduced. I think at the end of the Cold War, personally, a number of things that could have been done uh, to uh, obviate any future kind of return of the Cold War were not done to the extent they should have been. But, uh, for instance, I, was, I thought we should invite Russia into NATO to become a part of the North Atlantic community. Uh, but uh, those things didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vladimir Putin uh, is a man who loves his country. He longs for it, it's what he considers his glorious past, and he wants it to be a world power again. Mm-hmm. And he's building up his... Uh, modernizing his nuclear weapons. We need to do that. Uh, he is pushing back into, uh, into, uh, into, into Eastern Europe, what is his western border. Uh, and uh, the, the Russians have a, a, a very real fear of threats coming from the West, from Poland, from Ukraine, and from uh, Germany. Uh, whether or not they intend to ever do that again, Russia will step here, will always be there. Also, when we, at the end of the Cold War, Bringing in countries like Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, uh, one of those countries has a Russian naval base in it. And there are great, there are large Russian populations in those countries. You never make an alliance with a weak country that strong countries have a liability with. Yeah, right. Uh, like in the, in the 1930s, England and France having an alliance with Poland, and Poland had Germany and Russia uh, with claims on their territory. Uh, and Poland contributed very little in terms of real uh, military power to uh, France and to uh, Britain in that time. So you don't bringing them into NATO was probably not a very good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should have brought in we should have brought in Ukraine. I think mm-hmm. uh, we didn't. Well, I can tell you think about this stuff a lot, and uh, I was just reading more about you. And you're a retired Air Force intelligence officer. Did you enjoy that work when you were in it? Yes, I did. Um, and I wanted to be a pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to be a fighter pilot, and but I also uh, wanted to go on and get my master's degree right up when I I got my bachelor's degree in 1968. And because I had excellent grades, all almost all A's, I petitioned the Air Force for one year of delay of coming on active duty, and they said, "Well, we need fighter pilots, and it's going to take a year to train you, but you got one year to get your master's." Mm-hmm. And I did it in a year, but when I reported for pilot training, I'd ruined my eyes. Oh, okay. Getting a master's degree in history involves an tremendous amount of reading. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I thought, well, I'll just go in intelligence. They put me in intelligence, and I thought, well, I'll give this a try and spend four years and get out. And I got into it, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, and I really liked it. And by the time I wanted to get out, I just had a master's in history, and there were no jobs. I did get an offer to sell Cadillacs 
And uh, <laughs> I thought about that, and another toothpaste company offered me a job. And I thought, well, sell toothpaste or plan nuclear war. I think I'll go with nuclear <laughs> war. That's hilarious. And then you also went on to earn your Ph.D. in American and European military history at George Washington. And Soviet and East European politics and history as well. Wow. Yeah, I did that to become a better intelligence officer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that set me up for a teaching career. And I taught at the Air Force Academy and the Air War College. And then uh, after I retired, I uh, became director of research for the U.S. Army. And I wrote three books on Vietnam. And I've recently published a history of the University of Alabama in the mm-hmm. 1960s. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, we're talking today with Dr. Earl Tilford, fellow, Middle East and Terrorism, the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College. Um, going forward, if America wants to avoid war and seek peace, what is the best way to do that? Well, first of all, you need to have a world vision uh, that suits our country and, our, and the needs of our country, uh, the security needs of our country, but also our responsibility to humanity and what we can do for humanity. Monday, I uh, refereed, I was the judge for a um, debate of preschool or homeschool kids. And the question was, does the United States have a moral obligation to support Syrian refugees? And the two students who, in the ne- who won and did, did so in the negative uh, included doing things to not just... The rest focused, most of them focused on, we have a moral responsibility to take in refugees. Uh, two of the students said, yes, we have a moral responsibility, but it is to support them, and that can include securing them in their homeland or taking action against those who are threatening them. Mm-hmm. And I and that was the negative, and I, I found for them, I found for the negative in, in that. I found mm-hmm. that, because the question was poorly put. Yeah. But nonetheless, there are things we can do in the world that we should be doing, and it's part of a vision. And that, that vision needs to be realistic, it needs to be needs to take, first of all, our national interests uh, and our real national values. And first, we have to establish some national values that are, that are, that are good and, and accrue to our history. And then uh, uh, really uh, go out there and, and try to make uh, God's work on this earth truly our own, knowing that we'll never be able to really do that, that uh, we cannot be a substitute for God, nor should we think that we are, but we should try to do the best we can uh, with uh, those principles of uh, humanity and of uh, concern for others that uh, made us great. It kind of boils down, it seems, to love for God and love for neighbor. Yeah, and uh, if we do those things, um, that would be a, a good thing for us, but uh, we live in a society that doesn't uh, like the mention of God now, that prefers to have a God of our own understanding and uh, mostly that is, uh, for many people, you know, Mr. Bubblegum, uh, and uh, not the uh, Lord God Jehovah that is in the Bible, and we also should find inscrutable at times. Mm. And I, I'm concerned because I know personally um, God certainly disciplines us as his children when we fail to obey him and fail to give him glory, the glory that's due his name. And I do get concerned, you know, why wouldn't he also even bring down a nation that at one time was more in keeping with his laws, but, but now uh, seems to have forsaken him for other gods, and that's a concern I have. Well, I think that's a just concern. Uh, 
I was once in a conversation with uh, people from Coral Ridge Ministries, and, and they, the question was put to me, you know, why are we still, why are we, must we be that city on a hill? And it goes back to the reference, and, and by the Mayflower, and I said, well, that, back in the time of the Mayflower, that was kind of a common reference. Mm. You know, who else uh, considered his, his victim uh, of a, a, a city on a hill and a light for all mankind? I didn't terrible. So uh, it can be uh, a way of of that very easily. Yes. Uh, When we think uh, we we you know we are truly expressing God's will here. Yes. Uh, It's like I believe there is a definitive truth. I just always hope I'm wise enough to think that I may not have have a lot on it. And uh, I just thank the Lord that He is very long suffering, and He's He's merciful. Dr. Earl Tilford has been our guest today, fellow Middle East and Terrorism, the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College. Dr. Tilford, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to uh, hearing from you all again. And dear listener, you can find this as a podcast up on our website. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 